No one ever wakes up of a morning and says, today, I'm going to ruin my life. I'm going to throw away my future or destroy my marriage or sabotage my career. Today, I'm going to make a decision that will sidetrack my destiny. Today, I'm going to create a defining moment in my life that will be a day of infamy in my family tree. I've got big plans today. No one ever says that, right? Have you ever said that? Those of you that are sitting at home, that are joining at home, have you ever said that? Of course we've never said that. But the thing is, when one of those moments arrives for someone, we can all look back and say about that day. Yeah, that was, that was the day. That was the day she made the mistake. That was the day that he went too far. And those become defining moments. They are the moments that define the next year of your life or the next five years, sometimes the next decade. They, they are moments that, that set us on a course. And we usually have a few of these in our lifetime. And of course, they're not all bad, right? They're not all bad. Some of them are great. Hey, if you're uh, brand new here at Mountaintop or you're watching online for the first time, I want to extend my welcome to you. My name is Carter and uh, I'm the pastor here and I'm so glad that you are uh, watching or so glad that you're here. I'll bet you can recall some of those great defining moments in your life. The, the moment you asked her out. The moment that you sent in your application, the moment that you put an offer on that house in that neighborhood, the moment that you decided to change careers or come to church or join a small group, the moment that you sat down with someone who looked different than you and really listened. We've probably had a few defining moments. You don't have a lot, but you usually have more than one. A few defining moments, some of them that set us on a great course and then sometimes we have defining moments. We've all had those that set us on the wrong course, that sabotaged our future to some degree and maybe you're living with some of the consequences now. But here's the thing about defining moments. They all have a backstory, right? It's not just one moment and one day. It's a culmination of, of moments. It's, it's a culmination of little decisions that seem small at the time, of little relationships, little habits, little actions that seemed little at the time that culminate, that form this backstory to what becomes a defining moment. And this is why this series is so important because you may not know this, but I hope you will after today. You are in the backstory of your next defining moment. You, right now, you are in the backstory of your next defining moment. You are making decisions right now that are setting you up for the moment that will be the next defining moment in your life. And we don't know when that moment will be. If you did, you'd always make the right decision, right? 
But we don't know. Will it be tomorrow? Will it be next week? Will it be a few months from now? Will it be a year from now? We don't know when it will be. If you knew when it will be, you'd always make the right decision. So that means every moment matters. In this series, we're going to look at some, some characters in the Bible who were not ready when their moment came, who were not ready when, it, when their defining moment happened. And, and, and that it turned out to be a negative defining moment for them. For some of them, history changed. For some of them, history just was lost or unwritten. In a few instances, someone else stepped in to take their place to see God's story and purposes come into fulfillment and others' history was just left hanging and we don't know the rest of the story. And I want us to learn from them because I don't want us to make the same mistakes, right? When your moment comes, I want you to be ready. I want you to be, I want you to have the wisdom to make the right decision, to write the right kind of backstory to your next defining moment. And today we're gonna look at a story of one of the most famous, famous defining moments in all the scriptures. It's the story of two guys, two brothers named Jacob and Esau. So they are part of what we call in the Bible the patriarchs. Now what, what, is that, what do you think that means? What's a patriarch? A father, it's a father. We call them the patriarchs because these are the fathers of the people of God. It started with Abraham. God promised Abraham and his wife Sarah when he was uh, in his 70s, 80s years old that, that though they were childless, that they were going to have a son and that out of Abraham that God would birth a nation. That was a pretty wild, outlandish promise from God. Well, after many years, Abraham and Sarah finally became pregnant to have their firstborn son and their only son named Isaac. Not quite a nation, one child. That was gonna take a few generations. Isaac grows up and he meets Rebecca and they struggle with infertility just like his parents, Abraham and Sarah did. After 20 years of trying to have a baby, they finally get pregnant. And not just with one, but she's pregnant with twins. In fact, the, the, the scriptures say that, that, that Rebecca felt like that they were jostling inside of her, that like they were warring already, that they were fighting for position inside of her. And the Lord tells her that inside her are two nations and the older will serve the younger. What in the world does that mean? See, birth order in that culture was very, very important. The firstborn son would be the one that would carry on the family lineage. So the firstborn son of Isaac would be the one that would carry on this nation that God is building, this story that God is writing through Abraham, Isaac, and his descendants. Well, birth order with twins is a little complicated. It's a little closer, right? Do we have any twins in, in the room? Anybody that's a twin in the room? Okay, we got a twin. Awesome, awesome. You first, first or second? You're second. By how many seconds? How many minutes? 11 minutes. 
So see, birth order with, with uh, if you're a twin and you're watching, put it in the chat, whether you were first or second, and by how many minutes. I mean, birth order, if brothers and sisters, is years, but with twins, we're talking minutes, and sometimes, maybe even seconds. Well, when Rebecca finally has the twins, Esau is first, and Jacob is second. Esau has been given an incredible gift, his position. He has an incredible opportunity before him as the firstborn son of Isaac, who was the firstborn son of Abraham, who received a promise from God that he would build a nation. He would be a part of the patriarchs for centuries Artists would paint paintings of the patriarchs and he would be there beside his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham for centuries, for centuries and for millennia, for thousands of years. Just think about this. People will worship the God of Abraham, Isaac and Esau. Who would give that up? Someone who let their appetites get in the way. This is what it says in their story in Genesis 25. If you got your Bibles at home and you, or you got your app open or you're here and you got your tablet or your phone, if you need a hard copy of the Bible, we want to give one to you. There's some, some bookcases as you leave. Listen to what it, this, how this story begins about Jacob and Esau. Beginning in uh, verse 27, chapter 25, the boys grew up. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, Isaac was his father, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob was actually more like his father. Isaac nor Abraham were hunters, they were herdsmen. Jacob was more like his father and grandfather. He lived his life as a quiet, reserved herdsman. But Esau was a hunter, and maybe Isaac saw in Esau, maybe it was one of those things that he saw in Esau what he always wanted to be. Like maybe one of those dads that always sees in his child the star athlete or the A-plus student that he never was. Maybe that was it. I think he probably just liked the meat that Esau always brought. Esau always brought home steaks. I like the guy that brings home steaks, right? Esau always brought home steaks and he liked it. And, and, and so here's an interesting thing. I, I, this is just a, just a little parenting tidbit lesson in here, parents. That's just kind of a story within the story. Jacob and Esau must grow up and make their own decisions. But here's a question I just can't help but ask when, and I, as I read the rest of this story, is how much do the sins of parents affect the decision-making of children? And I don't know how much of an impact Isaac and Rebecca's favoritism hurt Jacob and Esau, but it couldn't have helped, right? I don't know how much the sins of parents affect the decision-making of kids. I don't know how much their favoritism hurt them, but it couldn't have helped. Listen to what the next verse says. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. He had been out 
on a hunt. We don't know, days, weeks, a month. He's been gone for a while, famished, the writer of Genesis writes. He says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom. Edom means red, and this red stew is one of the reasons that his descendants become known as Edom. He is exhausted. He's famished. And remember what he says? What does he say? Quick, give it to me quickly. Give it to me right now. And this is one of the great problems that we struggle with in life, is the urgent versus the important. The urgent versus the important. Sometimes what is urgent is not what is important. Urgent can actually hurt what's important, but our culture and our society is bent on urgent. Everything is at the mercy of urgent. Advertising is all about urgent, right? You need this new dishwasher liquid now because uh, your old stinks and you gotta buy it now. You need this shirt now. You need this book now. You need to go watch this movie now. You don't even have to go. It's on HBO Max. You can watch it right now. You need the new iPhone right now because your 11 is so out of date. Get the 12 now, right? Have you ever thought about what if what is urgent actually hurts what is important? This is, we want what we want and we want it right now and we think we have to have it right now. Let me ask you this question. What if what is urgent costs you what's really important? Ooh. What if what you think you have to have right now, what if what you think you have to do right now, what if what you think you need right now costs you what is important? What if the price you have to pay for urgent is what you really hold most dear and most important? Is it worth it then? Listen to what Esau says. Jacob replied, first, you want some stew? You want some of this? Sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. Sell me your position, the opportunity that you have to be the firstborn son of our father, Isaac. I want that. And listen, listen to what he says. Look, I am about to die. Now, do you think he's really about to die? Isn't that the, way, isn't that the lie of the urgent isn't that the way the urgent lies to us? Oh, listen, I've got to have it right now. You know what I wish I could have told Esau in this moment? There are worse things than dying. Hey, listen, if you die, but you keep your integrity, you keep your character, you keep your faith, you keep your obedience, that's okay. There are worse things than dying, Esau. Look, I'm about to die. And he asked this really dark question. What good is the birthright to me? What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So Esau swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. What good is it? 
What good is it? He's thinking tomorrow means nothing if I don't get my needs met today, but we know that tomorrow means everything to Esau. God is writing a story through Abraham and through Isaac and through Esau, and it's gonna be one of the most incredible stories the world will ever tell of what God wants to do in all creation. What, what do you mean? It means everything. That's how much tomorrow means, Esau. But before we're too hard on Esau, I think we're like him. Because here's what I think is true of me and you that was true of Esau. We all have an appetite inside of us that could derail the opportunity in front of us. We all have an appetite inside of us that could derail the opportunity in front of us. Esau's birthright, it, all, it, all it gave him was an incredible opportunity and he could live into it, ignore it, or destroy it. And we've got opportunities too. If you're a teenager, maybe it's the team you're a part of or the friend group you're a part of. Maybe it's the, the gifts and talents that God has given you, the job or influence you have, the children you're raising, the, build, the marriage you're building. All of us have a legacy that we're writing and all of us have some appetites that could sabotage that future. Money, power, success, influence, sex, control, popularity, greed. I mean, it wouldn't take you long, right, to start naming Fortune 500 companies, ministries, politicians that failed because of an appetite that sabotaged, that undermined and derailed the opportunity that they had in front of them. I mean, it doesn't take long. You, it's daily on your Twitter feed. Somebody sabotaging their future, undermining their destiny, derailing their opportunity. And it's, it, it's so easy, it's so easy to do that. Esau let that, and the temptation is because in the moment it seemed like the right thing to do, and that's the thing, is that the temptation of the urgent is that you have to do, it lies to you that tomorrow doesn't matter, that today matters more than tomorrow, because we all have an appetite inside of us that could derail the opportunity in front of us. Let me say a word to parents. Don't let the appetite for your parent, for your children's success derail the opportunity that you have in raising them and shepherding them and caring for them every single day. We live in a world that's just, it, just, it is out of bounds of parents trying to live into this appetite for their students, for their kids, academic success, athletic success, artistic success, and there is nothing wrong with achievement, there is nothing wrong with seeking out um, to be the absolute best, but don't let your appetite, because it might not even be theirs, don't let your appetite for that derail the opportunity you have in every single day to raise them because one day, it won't matter if they were an A-plus student, a star athlete, or an artist. One day, they'll just be sitting by your bedside. Let me say a word here to millennials and Gen Zers. 
Because I remember when I was young, and, and I, the thing I love about the, the, the next generation, the thing I love about them is just their optimism, their hope, their belief in a better world, and they want to make the world a better world. And, right, and, and what I see is that so many young people, they want more influence. They want more power. They want a better position. They want to get a seat at the table. And can I just tell you, I remember being there. I remember when I was 25 years old, 25, 26, and I was associate pastor at a large suburban church. And I just remember thinking that I want, why didn't I get to go to all the meetings that the senior pastor got to go to? Like he, he got to go to all these meetings where they had, they made all these decisions and I never got invited to those meetings and I wanted influence at those meetings and I wanted a voice at those meetings and I wanted a say at those meetings, and why didn't I get to go to those meetings? And then, then something occurred to me. So my, my official title at the church as associate pastor was Minister of Evangelism. And if you wanna cut short a, a conversation on a flight, and the person next to you asks what's your title, you're, I'm a minister of evangelism, and they will not want to talk to you. So I didn't get to go to all the meetings, but I got to go to one, I was in charge of the evangelism committee meetings. And I decided that I didn't get to go to all those meetings, but I was going to make the evangelism committee meetings the best meetings that they could be. And the evangelism committee was going to be the best committee in church. And we were going to be the best. We were going to do the best ministry. We we're going to reach out to our community. And I just decided I don't get to go to those meetings, but I'm going to try to kill it in the meetings that I do get to go to, the place where I do have influence. And if I could just encourage you with that, young people, just kill it where you're at. You've got an opportunity. You've got a few people you've got influence over. You've got, a, you've got a small group that you have position over. Then kill it where you're at. Because I promise you, one day, you're going to grow up and you're going to get to go to those meetings and you're going to go, why do I have to go to all these meetings? Just kill it where you're at. Don't, don't let your appetite for more derail the opportunity in front of you. That was Esau's problem. So then he says this. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. And he ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. The word here in Hebrew doesn't mean that he just hated his birthright. He hated his position, that he that he had disdain for. This word means that he considered it worthless. He considered it worthless. It held no value for him. But we don't live for moments, we live for a legacy. And this is, this is the mistake Esau made that I don't want you to make. Decide what long-term values you won't compromise for short-term validation. Decide what long-term values you won't compromise for short-term validation. I, I listened to a podcast recently of uh, an interview with Beth Moore and she asked a great question. I love Beth Moore. She asked this great question. She said, do you have a picture of who you want to be when you're 80? Do you? 
Do you have a picture of who you want to be when you're 80? And are you compromising things right now that will, that will thwart that picture, that will change that picture? Decide what long-term values you won't compromise for short-term validation. What long-term values, when it comes to integrity and character, will you not compromise to get ahead in business or your career? What long-term values will you won't compromise in your marriage? What long-term values you won't compromise in raising your children? What long-term values in your health and your money you won't compromise? And this is so important because I don't want the same to be said of you, that you considered the opportunity before God placed before you as worthless, that you despised your future because of an appetite for the moment, because here's the thing about a moment. You never know which ones are gonna be defining. With thousands of years of hindsight, if you and I were counseling Esau at this moment, if you and I were in the room with Esau and Jacob, and he was trying to make up his mind of whether or not he was going to sell his birthright, we would say, what would you tell him? Don't do it, Esau. It's not worth it. Esau, this decision is gonna become a defining moment in your life and not the good kind. Esau, if you make this decision that when God reveals himself to Moses years from now, he's not going to reveal himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He's going to reveal himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That thousands of years from now, Peter will preach the first Christian sermon and he will do it not in the name of God, of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, but in the name of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't do it, Esau, because don't forget that God made a promise to your grandfather, Abraham, that he would build a nation through him and that he would make his name great. And his name will be so great that there will be three world religions that will trace their lineage back through Abraham. And one of the greatest presidents and one of the greatest nations that the world has ever known will be named Abraham and no one will ever forget the name Abraham. Don't do it. And he won't only make your granddad's name great. Thousands of years from now in churches all over the world, there will be little boys running around in every kid's ministry named Isaac and named Jacob. But Esau, if you do this, there will be very few little boys running around named Esau. Esau, and listen, you don't wanna do this because listen, what you don't know is that God is writing a story that he is creating a family tree and if you make this decision, Esau, then it will be through your brother Jacob that God will build his nation and he will be the one that will have 12 sons that will become the 12 tribes of Israel and out of one of those tribes will become the greatest king Israel has ever known and out of that tribe will come the king of kings because what you don't know Esau is that one day an angel is gonna come to this little girl in Nazareth named Mary and this is what he's gonna tell her Esau if you make this decision. Do not be afraid Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will have no, no end. And Esau, don't make this decision because it could say that he will reign over Esau's descendants forever. Who would trade that 
But the problem is, people don't come from the future to tell us which of our decisions are defining moments, do they? That's why in our obedience, we have to see the future. And what I just wanna encourage you today is that if we could learn this lesson from Esau, to decide what long-term values you won't compromise for short-term validation. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Carter, if you knew my story, I've already blown it. I've already blown it. I've already made, a de- I've already had a defining moment and that's why I'm at where I'm at in life. If you knew the situation I was in, if you knew the consequences that I'm living in, if you knew the pain that I'm living in, if you knew the regret that I'm dealing with, but here's what I wanna tell you, that we serve a God of second chances and the good news is, is that in Jesus, you can start over. He can be making you new every single day. You can be made new. You can start over. You get a clean slate in Jesus and he can not only make your eternal destiny secure, he can rewrite and reframe your earthly destiny. So what if today you would come and say, Lord, I've got some defining moments in my life, but I wanna come to Jesus. I wanna seek his forgiveness because I want you to purify my heart, I want you to clean my hands and I want you to give me a fresh start. Today could be the defining moment that defines all the rest of the defining moments. When you say, I put my anchor in Jesus today and I will not compromise the value of eternity living in me for any short-term validation. Heavenly Father, wow. We've all got some moments, God, we'd like a do-over. But Lord, in this moment, could we just come to you and say, make us new? We want this to be a defining moment for the rest of our lives. Some of us right now are writing a backstory for a moment that's coming up. And God, if we could just be honest with you, we're writing the wrong kind of backstory. We're writing the wrong kind of legacy. And Lord, may today be a day that convicts us, that say things have got to change. Lord, there, God, can I just, can I just pray for some, some brothers and sisters in this room? There are some marriages right now that are making some what they think are small decisions. There's some men in this room right now, God. There's some men watching right now that are making some decisions that are leading toward an affair that will become a defining moment. And Lord, my prayer is that today, their hearts would be convicted. There are some, there are some people in this room, God, that are writing a backstory in their business of cutting corners, of doing things a little underhanded, a little under the table, and it's going to have a defining moment in their character, in their relationships, God. And I pray that today you would convict hearts to say, I'm, I'm doing things God's way from now on. And all of us have all kind of under other things, God, that we're writing a story right now that isn't the story we want to write. But today is chapter one of the rest of the story. And we give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
we're going to stand and sing a song that is really a prayer. It says, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And so that's it. Would you not lift your soul to the moment, to the urgent, and say, we're lifting it to God. So let's stand and sing.